Hey everybody, this is Hunter Howard. I'm the lead pastor of Encounter Church. Here at Encounter Church, our vision is helping people encounter God. And that's what I pray and hope for you today, that you will encounter God through this message. Enjoy. Before I actually jump in the word, uh, I want to say, well, hello to everyone watching online. Good morning. Uh, we miss you in, in the house and hope to, to have you here soon. Uh, but this is... Uh, the book that Pastor Mark Wallace wrote, it's called, I'm Not Done. Everybody say, I'm not done. <laughs> Tell your neighbor, I'm not done. It says here, when, listen, when there is no hope, but God says, live, right? And I, I you, you just can't not be here next Sunday. I know that was a double, double negative, but you know what I'm saying, right? You absolutely must be here next Sunday because uh, I just finished reading the book uh, this past week, and not only does it tell the story of how God miraculously healed him, but of what God has been doing ever since then. And uh, what a privilege that Pastor Mark and, and Tammy are going to be here with us next Sunday in Encounter Church. I mean, I don't know about you, but I count it a big privilege that they are all the way from California. They're going to visit us here in Kennesaw, all right? So... I want to ask you a favor, though, okay? Don't come alone next Sunday. Come on, turn to somebody and say, don't come alone. All of us know somebody who needs hope, right? How many of us know people that need a miracle in their life? Rather, it's a healing or a desperate situation. We know people that need God to come through in a big way, right? And I believe, and I, I don't only believe it, I prophesy it. Next weekend in the house, there will be miracles. Come on, say, there will be miracles. So come, but don't come along. Bring somebody with you. Cool? Well, I'm glad somebody's going to bring somebody. <laughs> it's my privilege to share another message from God's wonderful word uh, with you today. And as usual, uh, if you want to follow along with the uh, outline of the message, you can do that in your Bible app, or you can grab a printed version back there in the box in the back. Come on, everybody, together. Acts chapter 6, verse 7 says, What happened to the word? Oh, and when the word of God spread, what happened to the number of the disciples? It multiplied just a little bit. There was two or three new disciples made. No, no, no. When the word of God spread, the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. In 2021, all year long, our aim has been to If you're watching or listening online, all you heard was Jesus, right? Multiply the culture of Jesus through the words of Jesus because it is when the word of God, when the words of Jesus spread that the disciples multiply, right? And for that reason, this year we've been reading uh, word for word through the words of Jesus, taking it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, uh, through the gospel of Mark. Not something, not the way we always teach and preach here at Encounter Church, but this year we decided we're going to read through the whole gospel of Mark. And we've been learning so much. I don't have time, and I'm not going to take the time to review all of it today, but last Sunday... 
we learned a few new words. And today, we're actually going to sort of continue in that vein. Everybody remember last Sunday? Did anybody get a rhema? Did anybody get a rhema last Sunday? Have you seen the results of that rhema in your life this week? If you weren't here or you don't remember, you may be saying, what in the world is rhema? Well, last week we began to learn about three words, right? We began to learn about three words that when we say the word of God or when the Bible itself talks about itself, when it says word, word of God, the word word in Greek is actually described with three different words. Can anybody remember them? Oh, there's already a cheat sheet up on the screen, right? Who can remember the three words that actually mean word? Graphy, logos, and rhema, right? Well, graphy, um, how about this? Can you remember what graphy is? The written word, right? We're actually... Can you think, uh, what is it? It's in a pencil that allows you to write. Graphite, right? Okay, so graphy means written, all right? It's what you see when you read the Bible. It's the graphy. It's what's written. But logos takes it a step further, right? When we, when, we, when we get the word of God as logos, it means we what? Understand it. It's where we get our word logic, logos, logic, right? So when you read the word of God, but it's more than just words, you actually understand the concepts or the truth found in the word of God. That is logos, logos, right? I, I, I used this example last Sunday. Let me say it again. When you read in the scripture, when you read in the word, in the, in the graphy, right? When you read... The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, give me some logos. How do I begin to get wisdom? Through the fear of the Lord. See, we understood that. That's logos. It's the understanding of the word of God. But rhema is so powerful. Because as graphy is the written word and logos is the understood word, rhema is the what he says, it's the spoken word of God. How many of us agree that God didn't only just speak, but he is still speaking, right? And the, and, and the word of God says that his word is what? It's alive. It's active. It's effective. The word of God wasn't just something that was spoken by him a long time ago and written down for us to read, but he's speaking today. And he wants to speak to you, and he wants to speak to you Today, right? Rama, the word of God is alive. He's speaking. And Jesus said, people, we don't get life or we don't live only by bread, right? We don't only, it says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that what? Proceeds from his mouth. Not every word that's written down and recorded. Not every word that we have read and understood. But life comes from every word that God speaks, right? God is speaking to us today. In fact, this is so important. What does the Bible say about faith? Where does faith come from? Oh, this is going to help somebody today, all right? What does the Bible say? Where does the Bible say faith comes from? Or it comes by? It comes by hearing. Hearing what? 
the word of God, actually the word of Christ, actually, Greek, every rhema from Christ, okay? Every word, every anointed word from the anointed one. See, Jesus didn't just come and speak the word. Jesus is the word. And Jesus is alive. And his word is alive. And he's speaking to you and he's speaking to me today. The question is, are we hearing? Are we listening? Right? Can we hear what he is saying? So today, listen. We're going to read the graphy. We're going to understand the logos. But the Holy Spirit is inviting us to lean in and listen. Because he wants to speak to you today. He doesn't just want you to understand what he said. He wants to hear what he's saying to you now. Who wants to hear from the Lord today? Now, just like last Sunday, we're going to kind of go in the same direction um, because we're going to read an entire chapter, okay? We're going to read all, we're going to try to get through all of Mark 12 today. So just like last Sunday, a lot will be said quickly. But don't worry and don't be overwhelmed that you have to get a rhema out of every single word, okay? What, what's important is for you to hear what God is speaking to you today, right? Come on, let's throw our hands up in the air and say, speak to me, Lord. Come on, no, you didn't do it. Come on, say, speak to me, Lord. He is speaking, and you're going to hear him today. Well, Mark chapter 12. Jesus confronts and corrects seven what happened the joy of the Lord that's fine Jesus confronts and corrects seven spirits, mostly religious spirits. And I heard him this week, early on in the week, when I was just reading through this and studying and praying. He said that today, he was going to, in his kindness lead many to repentance. But at the same time, he said, I'm going to bring great deliverance to my people. Because you guys, we can be religious and bound. In fact, that's what these seven very distinct spirits do is they Bind people up. Okay? Who wants to be bound? No, right? And today, I, I, I really want you to open your heart and your mind. Because as I read through this, I'm convicted. As I read through this, and I hear the Holy Spirit speaking to me, his rhema, 
I'm brought to repentance. And I've, I've learned that a lot of times deliverance, just getting free, happens just when you repent. When you say, whoa, I'm off. I need to get right, right? I'm off. I need to get on. <laughs> and the things we're going to read and the things that are going to be said today, some of it's going to be easy to digest, and some of it you're going to have to take a big, deep breath and smile and go, okay, Lord. Why don't we practice, and we're going to do this throughout the message today. Let's smile big and take a deep breath and say, okay, Lord. You've heard the, uh, the phrase, if the shoe fits, wear it. Not today. Come on, I want you to turn to somebody and say, not today. If any of these shoes fit, you need some new feet. (laughs) If any of these shoes fit today, it's not to wear them. (laughs) Aren't you glad we serve a God who can totally renew us and change us? I don't need to learn how to fit into any of these shoes, any of these spirits we're going to read about today. I just need to get renewed. Okay? Who's ready to be renewed today? You say, why are you prepping us so much for the word? Pastor Hunter, you normally just dive right in. You'll see. It's good to be confronted. Come on, where's your smile? Come on, just say, it's good to be confronted. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus, uh, in his kindness, confronts us with stuff that binds us up so that we can be free? So just know, as we read through this today, Jesus' heart towards you and me is for us to be free. All right? Are we ready? All right. Mark chapter 12, we're going to start with verse 1. If anyone is tracing it through the Bible as we read, wow, Mark 12 is found in Matthew 21, 22, and 23, as well as in Luke 10, 20, and 21, okay? All, everything we read in Mark 12 is found in those chapters too. Let's go with it. Jesus began to speak to them, the chief priests, scribes, and elders who were questioning him in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower. And he rented it out to the to tenant farmers and left the country, right? Now, when harvest season came, he sent a servant to the tenants in order to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. They took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another servant wow how merciful (laughs) i mean whose farm was it whose vineyard was it come on whose trip were these guys on this wasn't theirs (laughs) it was the farmers and it says he sent them yet another servant after what they did and they threw stones and wounded him in the head (laughs) and treated him disgracefully and he sent another. <laughs> and that one they killed 
Then many others. Somebody say, thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Many others. Some they beat and some they killed. He had one man left to send, a beloved son. He sent him last of all, saying, they'll respect my son. But those tenants said to each other, this man is the heir. Come on, let's kill him and destroy the evidence. And his inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw his body outside the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? <laughs> he will come and destroy the tenants. And he will give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read the scripture? The stone which the builders regarded as unworthy and rejected. This very stone has become the chief, what? Cornerstone. And this came about from the Lord and it's marvelous and wonderful in our eyes. And they were looking for a way to seize him, but they were afraid of the crowd. For they knew he had spoken this parable in reference and as a charge against them. And so, he, and so they left him and went away. The first spirit that Jesus confronts is a lawless spirit. A lawless spirit. What is this lawless spirit? Do you say, I see lots of bad things going on in that story? Absolutely. But the, the one that I really want to bring out to us today is the lawless spirit. A lawless spirit rejects God as God. The lawless spirit rejects God as God. In fact, the lawless spirit attempts to overthrow God. But that's what the lawless spirit does. It basically says, I don't want God. Let's get rid of God. I'll do whatever it takes to get what I want. Therefore, rejecting God is God. Therefore, becoming my own God. Right? The way the world says it is, I reject religion. Not understanding that rejecting religion in a, re a religious sense is actually a good thing. But what they mean is, I reject any notion of any God who could tell me what to do. No one can tell me that I can't do what I want to do and get what I want to get. And I will get it by whatever means I see fit. And anybody who tells me otherwise, I might even hurt you. And what ends up happening is this is a religious spirit. How is that a religious spirit? Easy. You create your own religion. The religion of you. Uosity. You-ism. 
right? Now, this is the spirit of this age for sure, right? Our generation says, who is God anyway? And anything representing, anything or anyone that represents God, stop trying to limit me and control me and tell me what to do. Okay. And the thing is, God lets people do that. <laughs> because it's not going to hurt him. In the end, when I reject God as God, I am the one who ends up destroyed. I am the one, because I try to have everything I want, I end up having everything taken away from me. Because in the end, God is God. Period. Every knee will bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Period. Everything in heaven, everyone in earth, everything under the earth, everybody, everything, everywhere. In the end, the lawless will be subjected to the law of God. Now, all of us Christians are sitting there going, well, whew, that's not me. Hold on. We sit in the church and we think, that has nothing to do with me. I'm not lawless. Jesus Christ, I believe in Jesus. But Christians aren't exempt. Are you ready? All right, this is one of those moments where you're going to go. <sighs> okay, Lord. Ready? Have you repeatedly rejected God's messengers to you? Has Jesus sent person after person, message after message, to tell you something, and you've despised, ignored, and rejected because you just want to do what you want to do. And you're not going to hear it. Careful. Care Listen, careful. Because the eventual outcome of that spirit is rejection of Christ. That's what it leads to. The thing is, those who agree with this spirit reject the one thing they can actually build their life on, the cornerstone. <laughs> Jesus, right? If you build a building, if you build a house without a cornerstone, without the foundation stone, eventually what's going to happen to that house if that stone is missing? It's going to come crashing down. And you might be building and building and adding and this and that, and this is what I want, and I'm making my life. But if you're missing the cornerstone, eventually that's what's going to happen. Careful. And don't think that just because you're a Christian, just because you go to church, you have escaped the influence of the lawless spirit. Submit to the word of the Lord and submit to the messengers and the messages that he sends you. He's trying to help you guys. He's trying to help me. I 
can recall a few occasions in my life where God sent a couple of situations and people, messengers, to tell me something. And I wasn't paying attention. I was ignoring it. Or I even just altogether despised it and later regretted it. Anybody ever been there? I think we ought to move on to the next spirit. I'm, I, I'm just warning you, this one's even worse. I mean, maybe not worse. Maybe not, let's not let, let me reset. Let maybe not worse, but prevalent. Ready? This next passage has some pretty bad words in it. Then they sent some of the Pharisees, and you might not know what this is. You're about to find out. And Herodians, which were political supporters of Herod, okay? To Jesus, in order to, most important word of the passage, in order to what? Trap him into making a statement. Ooh, some of you are already getting a rhema right there. That they could use against him. They came to him and said, I want you to think of the most hypocritical tone of voice you can. All right? Teacher. <laughs> we know that you are truthful. And you have no personal bias towards anyone. You're not influenced by outward appearances or social status. But in truth, you teach the way of God. Remember, this is not sincere, okay? Is it lawful, according to Jewish law and tradition, to pay the poll tax? Uh-oh. To Tiberius Caesar or not? Should we pay the tax or should we not pay? But knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus asked them, why are you testing me? Bring me a coin. In fact, anybody got a coin? What's a coin? You all have debit cards. All right. No, but seriously, does anybody have a coin? Does anybody, bring me a coin. Bring me a coin. I got a coin. Let me have another one. Let's see what they, let's see if they're different. You got anything besides a quarter? You got a pocket full of, oh, thank you, sir. Here, thanks. Thank you. Somebody bring the offering bucket. Just kidding. All right. We don't even have an offering bucket in Encounter Church. Jesus said, Jesus said, I love Jesus because he's like so much smarter than anybody else, right? I mean, they had another thing to come and if they thought Jesus was going to fall for their nonsense. He didn't fall for it, but we do. Oof. He said, bring me a coin. So they brought him a, they brought him a quarter. <laughs> and he says, Whose emblem is on that? This is Washington. Mm -hmm. 
Yo, I could preach for three hours just from this passage. You got to help me out. I'm not going to. Don't worry. Who, whose image and inscription is on this? And they said, Caesar's. George Washington. And he asked him, and he said to them, hmm, pay to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar. And to God, the things that are God's. And they were greatly amazed. <laughs> In fact, if you read other versions of this, it says they dared not ask him anything else. <laughs> So in this passage, we see two spirits that we need to be very uh, careful with. The first one is the Pharisee spirit. I don't need to take a lot of time on this one, but I want you to turn to somebody and say, fair, I see. So you want to be fair, I see. All right? The Pharisee, the fair I see spirit is a legalistic spirit. And what it does is it turns real spirituality, real life, real relationship with God into just a bunch of rules and doctrines. Just the right doctrines and the right rules right and then hold on it pretends that you can actually keep those rules see pharisees can't keep the rules but they pretend that they can and they make you feel bad because you can't you say well i'm a christian i'm not a pharisee that doesn't we don't even have pharisees in america Legalism traps us in lifeless, powerless, joyless religiosity. Legalism, Phariseeism is these are the right things to believe and these are the right rules to follow. And I follow them. And you should too. And then hides the fact that they actually can't. And don't. That's what Jesus said, hypocrites, right? <laughs> You're acting. It, it, it's like wor it, it, worshiping God in word only, but having a heart that's far from him, that's not really connected. Jesus repeatedly confronted the Pharisees, right? Okay, you're going to need to smile with all of your teeth and take the deepest breath you've ever taken for number three. Listen. Open your heart, open your mind, and hear Jesus, okay? The third spirit that Jesus confronts is the political spirit. You see, it's a spirit. It is a spirit. It is a spirit, Okay? The Pharisees and the Herodians did something that they 
never done before that they didn't normally do. Pharisees, the Pharisees, which were staunch Hebrew Jews who rejected the Romans, right, who rejected their culture, the political tyranny of the day, because literally they were being like almost enslaved, okay? Herodians were the supporters of the political party of the day, the political rule. They despised each other, but they got together to try to trap Jesus. You may have already seen what the political spirit does. The Pharisees represent religion. The supporters of Herod represents politics. They joined forces to attempt to create a words trap for Jesus. Okay? Jesus didn't fall for it and neither should we. This may be hard for some of us to hear, but again... Here, just listen to what God is speaking to you. Mixing God and politics can trap us into saying things that can and will be used against us. The political spirit causes us to divide and alienate people. Now hear me out. Hear me out before you get up and leave. Some of you are ready to shout amen and some of you want to crawl in a hole. It just... I'm not saying that politics don't matter. I'm definitely not saying that. Okay, are you with me? I'm not saying that. Jesus is by no means saying that. I mean, the Word of God teaches us a lot of things that should be policy and culture. Hello? Remember what God told the, the, the Hebrews whenever they came? When you come into the promised land, don't treat people. Don't treat foreigners harshly because remember you were foreigners, right? And slaves in Egypt, right? Remember? I mean, it's not that God doesn't care, so don't. Don't mishear this, okay? Not saying that politics don't matter, but if I define Jesus and the gospel through my political perspective, I'll lose sight of the real Jesus. We have to remember he's the king of the nations and we're one of over 200 of them. He's way bigger than all of that stuff. And it just so happens that Jesus actually loves the people that our loud politics tend to alienate from us. Even if, listen, even if their perspective is wacko. <laughs> I mean, because there's some wacky stuff going on out there. Hello? Right? Listen, take it, take it from someone who has lived in another country. I lived eight years in another country. I've traveled 
to more than a dozen countries and seen different systems and forms of government and politics. Our beloved Cuba, where we go on a regular basis to help feed children and plant churches and make disciples, listen, is under one, and I, I, I could just boldly, bluntly say it, under one of the worst, most harmful forms of control and that, 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 that there is. Yet those precious believers aren't all about, their, their focus isn't all about changing their government. It's all about preaching the government of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because that is the one and only thing that changes hearts. The gospel is the only thing that changes hearts. You want to change the politics of our nation? Get people's hearts to change. The Holy Spirit knows how to work out people's wacky stuff. The problem is double standards, when we try to mix God and politics, double standards are inevitable. It's going to happen. Hypocrisy is inevitable. He said, what? Are you left or are you right? Are you pro-law enforcement? Or you want to fry pigs like bacon or whatever it is they shout? I'm, listen, I mean, let's just get real today. Are you vaccinated or unvaccinated? That's become like saved and unsaved. It's like, are you pro close the border? Or do you want open borders? I don't want to hear your answers. <laughs> I have my own opinion. Do you? Guess what? I'll vote it. Will you? And if you don't vote it, then your opinion doesn't even matter. <laughs> that, that, that's just the way our system works, okay? Pray, pray, read the word, but do this. Listen, don't define Jesus through your politics because he won't have it. He absolutely won't have it. He said, Give to Lincoln <laughs> what belongs to Lincoln. By all means, pay your taxes, right? I mean, there are verses that talk about that in Romans. <laughs> but don't try to make Jesus pick a side. He's not on anybody's side. He's on everybody's side. Jesus is on the side of righteousness, and there is unrighteousness in every form of politics. Even if you think that this form of politics is the most righteous, there's unrighteousness in it. He will not be on that. He won't be on the left. He won't be on the right. You know, if anybody is independent, it's the king of kings.
The problem is we make sweeping statements. And when we do that as Christians and we include the name of Jesus in it, we mix God in with, we mix Jesus in with politics, which was something he rejected. He said, I will not even be a part of that conversation. I'm not, you're not going to, you're not going to trick me into that. It's funny to watch the different generations respond. It's funny to watch people that are like, what is he even talking about? I don't know anything about politics. And others who are like, you know. Hey, 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 listen. That's all fine. It's all fine. Jesus doesn't like Fox News and hate CNN. Jesus doesn't like Fox News and hate CNN. I definitely don't think he likes CNN. But he doesn't like it any less than he... Corruption is corruption. Unrighteous is unrighteous. Hypocrisy is hypocrisy. No matter how you paint it. Stop it, Christians. We've got to stop it. Because the political spirit that has infiltrated the people of God has alienated the very people Jesus has called us to reach. And if you've been left alienating people on the right, or you've been right alienating people on the left, repent. Stay left, stay right, stay in the middle, go up, go down. Forget it all. It matters not when it comes to the gospel. When we make sweeping statements and we box Jesus into those statements, we commit a grave error. Let's make the gospel our only sweeping statement. Let's point people to Jesus, the king, and let him figure out getting their politics straight. We ought to fashion our political perspective around Jesus, not the other way around. And the spirit is very detrimental to our testimony because this is what happens. We end up saying things that trap us. We end up saying things that trap us. What is a trap? It's something you can't get out of. <laughs> it's, I'm not saying I've been perfect at this, but I'll tell you something. I'm very careful to just publicly say things because I know I'm going to be held to what I said. Thank God we can repent, right? (laughs) Thank God. But if there's one thing I want to be sure of that we do as Christians is that we boldly, unashamedly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ as the one message that we are uncompromising about. 
how about we move on to another spirit? (laughs) Deep breath in. Some Sadducees, come on everybody, say sad, you see, who say there is no resurrection, I mean, that's sad. (laughs) Some Sadducees who say there's no resurrection came to him and began questioning him, saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us a law that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but has no child, no brothers to marry the widow and raise up children for his brother, I mean, let's get into all the rules, right? There were seven brothers. The first one took a wife and died with leaving no children. The second brother married her and died leaving no children. The third, likewise. And all seven married her and died and left no children. Last of all, the woman also died in the resurrection. <laughs> Look at the hypocrisy. They didn't believe in the resurrection. So now think of the most hypocritical voice again. So, in the resurrection, Jesus, whose wife will she be? For all seven brothers were married to her, and Jesus said to them, is this not why you're wrong? I'll tell you why you're wrong, basically. You don't know the scriptures or the power of God. (laughs) Because you know neither the scriptures that teach the resurrection nor the power of God who is able to raise the dead. For when they rise from the dead, they do not marry nor are given in marriage but are like angels in heaven. That's in the scriptures. But concerning the raising of the dead, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the burning bush how God spoke to him saying, I'm the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead but of the living. You are greatly mistaken. And deceiving yourselves. The Sadducee spirit, come on, turn to somebody and say, sad, you see? The Sadducees didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe there was a resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in demons. They didn't believe in the Holy Spirit. They didn't believe in, they were simply religious, right? Like natural religion. The Pharisees were all about the right doctrines and the right rules, and then they were hypocrites because they didn't do it. But they actually did believe in the supernatural. The Sadducees were like a step under that. They only believed what they could see. Their religion was defined by only, like, head knowledge. There's no supernatural in it. The thing is, it was really bad theology. (laughs) It was kind of tough because Jesus had been going around opening blind eyes and opening deaf ears and, you know, raising up crippled people. And it was tough for them because (sighs) it was like they were denying reality. Unfortunately, people in the church do this today. We, we, we turn our, our Christianity into just theology. And sometimes we deny, or maybe we don't deny, but we belittle the supernatural or we shy away from it. 
It's ignorance of God's of word and his power. And listen, I'm not just talking about cessationism. Say, so what's cessationism? If you don't know, good. But cessationism is the doctrine that all miracles have ceased, right? After the resurrection and the apostles, that was the end of miracles. God didn't do miracles anymore, right? But I'm not just talking about cessationism. This spirit, the Sadducee spirit, reduces everything to just religious rote, right? To just ceremony, to just sort of go through the motions and not enter into anything supernatural, not having experiences and encounters with God. And it's really sad, you see? <laughs> it is. It's a really sad way to try to be a Christian, to just know the stuff and know the rules and try to do it, but have no power. There's good news, though. The Holy Spirit is moving nevertheless. He is. We just don't need to be a sad, you see, right? We just need to go for it. To know that God is a powerful supernatural God and go after him. All right, let's keep going. Then one of the scribes, an expert in Mosaic law, when you read this, you're going to be going, I'm not sure, what's the, what's the spirit here? One of the scribes came up and listened to them arguing with one another, noticing that Jesus had answered them well. <laughs> he asked, which command is the first and most important of all? And Jesus answered, the first and most important one is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, life, with all your mind, thought, and understanding, and with all your strength. This is the second. You shall unselfishly love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, admirably answered, teacher, you truthfully stated that he is one, and there is no other but him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to unselfishly love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Come on, somebody say, he had some logos, right? This guy understood, okay? And when Jesus saw that he thoughtfully and intelligently answered, he said to him, you're not far. You're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. The fifth spirit, Jesus, confronts is the seeker spirit. Thoughtful and intelligent is good, but it's not good enough. Thoughtful and intelligent is good. Please be thoughtful and intelligent. Jesus actually praised him for that. Jesus actually complimented him. He was, he was impressed by his thoughtful and intelligent answer, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't quite enough. See, seeking answers isn't a bad thing, but there's more to just knowing the right answers. There's more to than just knowing the right answers. There's more than just knowing the right information. There's more than just having the right doctrines. Because Jesus told him that he wasn't far, not too far. But not too far is not in. <laughs> right? In other words, you're almost in the kingdom, but not quite. 
just slightly off. You're missing one thing. I'm just going to wrap this up quickly with this one. This attitude can get us near Jesus, but it has to go from our head, from our intelligence, to our heart. And our, when I say our heart, it's literally a commitment to follow Jesus. This guy knew the right answers, but he had not yet made the decision to follow Jesus. That's why Jesus said, you're not far. We read other accounts and other stories of people like him. And in one of them, Jesus said, you just lack one thing. Get rid of it. Sell everything and just come follow me. Right? You get it. Right? You get it. You, you get it. So leave everything behind and just come follow me. We, we don't know 100% what ended up happening to this guy. I really hope that he let it go from his head to his heart, that he eventually followed Jesus. But in this moment, he was just a seeker. He just wanted to know the right answers. But it takes more than that. How many of you know it takes more than that? All right, let's keep going. Jesus began to say, as he taught in a portico of the temple, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Now Jesus is like, I'm going to ask you all some questions, right? David said, himself said, when inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the Father said to my Lord, the Son, the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And David calls himself, David calls him the Son, the Messiah, Lord. So how can he, it be that he's David's son? The large crowd enjoyed hearing Jesus and listened him to him with delight. In the course of his teaching, he was saying, beware of the scribes. Who like, here we go, here's the spirit he's confronting. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes displaying their prominence and like to receive respectful greetings in the marketplaces. And they love the chief seats in the synagogues and the places of distinction and honor and the banquets. These scribes who devour, confiscate widows' houses and offer long prayers for appearances' sake to impress others. These men will receive greater condemnation. The sixth spirit that Jesus confronts is the showman spirit. It says, show off, basically. So how does this even apply to us? Well, this spirit uses spirituality. Even, listen, even the anointing. <laughs> and our knowledge and the gifts of the spirit and all that. To feel important. To gain respect. To look cool. <laughs> to be admired. To get favors. Unfortunately, it goes beyond that. I've seen this so much, and I'll I'll just be I'll just be one to say it and repent on behalf of a generation. My generation, like people born after nineteen nineteen eighty and beyond. A lot have used the gifts, the, the anointing, the calling, the all of that amazing stuff to make a name for ourselves, to show off, to create, to get a following, 
to get likes on Instagram, to get people to think we're cool. And the problem is this showman spirit also um, belittles and tries to exercise control over other people. They use their, their religion as a way to get people to look up to them, which is fine to be looked up to, right? Right? We want to be a good example that can be looked up to, right? Right? But if the reason you want to be look up, looked up to is to be able to get favors and, and control other people, <laughs> That's not Jesus. This is how it works. The showman spirit seeks to control others rather than to serve others. We ought to ask ourselves, I mean, just, just honestly, am I a show-off? Or am I using the grace and the gifts, the ability God has given me to serve and bless others, not to get something from others? Last one. Thank you for your patience. Like last Sunday, we're trying to get through an entire chapter so we can finish Mark <laughs> before Christmas. And he sat down opposite the temple treasury. Jesus, he, and he began watching how the people were putting money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. Is there anything wrong with that? Is there anything wrong with giving big offerings to God? No. You got big money, your offerings ought to be big. Hello? Listen. Many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins. The two coins, I believe, would equal one penny. Uh, which amount to a mite, okay? Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said to them, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, this poor widow put in proportionally more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they contributed, contributed from their surplus, but she from her poverty put in all she had, all she had to live on. The final spirit Jesus confronts in Mark 12 is the stingy spirit. It says that many gave out of their surplus, but the widow gave it all. <laughs> Get this. I believe God wants to bless us, and many of, of you are going to be very rich. Believe that. 
It's part of the blessing of Abraham, actually. <laughs> okay? Bear with me. Some of you are like, I ain't got that part of the blessing down yet, right? <laughs> when we're rich and when we're poor, Jesus doesn't ask for a certain amount. He asks for all. That's what real worship is. Real worship isn't stingy. Real worship doesn't, we don't give from our surplus. And now I'm not just talking about money, okay? Real worship doesn't just give God the leftovers. The leftovers of my money, the leftovers of my time, the leftovers of my energy, the leftovers of my love, the leftovers of my talents and my abilities and my resources. No, real worship is Big love. You, listen, when you love somebody for real, you don't just halfway give yourself or stingily give yourself. You give yourself away to that person, right? And see, the, the, widow, represent, the widow teaches us the difference between little love and big love. Little worship and big worship. Stingy or extravagant. True worship is generous and extravagant. True worship gives it all to Jesus. Listen, whatever that means for you. Because it'll mean different for you than it means for me. It'll mean something different for you than it means to the person on your left and on your right. We all have different, we're all in different seasons of life. We all have different amounts of money and resources. We all have lots of different giftings and talents. And we're all in different situations in our health, in our age. We all have different bandwidth of time and energy because some of us have small children. Others of you have no children or your children are gone. Some of you are married. Some of you are single. They say, what is Jesus looking for from me? The thing is, you can't compare it to someone else. Because to him, a million dollars and one penny can mean the same thing if it's all. True worship gives all to Jesus. And so much today. I know that this is probably <laughs> the busiest, <laughs> most dense word maybe we've ever even had here at Encounter Church. And I just, I want to thank you again for sitting through it and hearing it all. 
This is about double the length I like to teach. (laughs) And I know you're hungry for the Lord because you... You sat through attentive and open. What a beautiful church we have. Like, I know this may feel like a rabbit trail, but (laughs) listen, you guys are special. (laughs) Encounter Church, this is a very special family. Not superior or better than any other church family, but there's a hunger in this house. There's a hunger in this family that says, I'm not looking for a church that's in and out an hour and 15 minutes, three songs, a motivational speech, a hug, and a bye-bye. You're willing to be like 10 minutes, just flowing in worship like we did, and not just move on fast. You're willing to sit through an extra long word and not fall asleep. (laughs) You say, why am I saying that? I just feel it. I feel like the Lord's saying this over you guys. God is going to honor the hunger of this house. He's going to honor the hunger of our hearts because that, my friends, is not religious. Jesus has nothing to confront about that. He's pleased with our hunger. And because we're hungry too, I can sense in the room an openness to what God is speaking to you again. I know that was, we we listened to the Lord confront seven religious spirits. And maybe one or two or seven might have been for you. I can identify with a few of them. And I just I just feel the freedom and the the mercy of God in the room. He he just wants us in his kindness, right? He's just drawing us and saying, let go of that. Get rid of that. Drop that. Let me change you. I want to deliver you. I want you to be free from that thing that's limiting you. Maybe, listen. His anointing is so strong that it's hard to stand up straight. And this, listen, the Bible says the anointing breaks the yoke off of us. It snaps it. The word says that because of the anointing, that, that, that the yoke or that thing that binds us, the Bible says it will literally be rotten by God's anointing. Sometimes deliverance is dramatic and 
you know, evil spirits coming out and that kind of stuff. But sometimes deliverance is just when we respond in repentance to the word of the Lord and the anointing comes and just, just breaks the stuff off and gets rid of our limitations. So I want to do this again with, with all due respect to the presence of the Lord. I want us to Even as the worship team comes, it, if there's any way you can prevent going in and out right now, unless it's an emergency, let's just all stand to our feet as the worship team joins me here. Mm. Jesus wants to set you free today. Jesus wants to set you free today. I'm going to call out those seven spirits that we need to be free from. And as I do, listen, if you need to Respond to the word of the Lord, to one, two, or all of them, whatever. In just a second, I'm going to open up the altar. If you want to just come and spend some moments in the anointing, in his presence, and let him, as you, as, as we respond and repent and turn away from and reject these things, the anointing is here to set us free. And so as I begin to call these things out, if you want to just begin to, to come, maybe you want to come to the front. Maybe you just want to step out into the aisle or get somewhere on your knees or whatever you need to do. But first, if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, the only way today to be truly free, first of all, is to turn away from sin and to turn your heart over to the Son of God. To receive and confess Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. Jesus wants to forgive you, save you, redeem you. He wants to set you free. So the first one is that, listen, I know some of the, some of the church family is already beginning to respond to the word of the Lord. But I want to say this one too before I begin to call out everything else. If you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life, if you've never been born again, and today you want to start a new life, you want to be forgiven of your sins, you want to turn away from the world and darkness and sin, you want to turn your life over to God, you want to stop living for yourself, and you want to start living for Him. And if you, you, today you want to place your faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross if you call out to Jesus he'll save you he'll forgive you he'll set you free he'll give you a new life come on is that anybody is that anybody would you just wave at me if that's you say that's me I want to give my life to Jesus so maybe for somebody it's the first time but listen maybe for somebody Maybe you do know Jesus, but you have not been walking with Jesus. 
Maybe at one time in your life you walked close with Him, but now you've grown cold, you've grown far away. It's called being backslidden. And today you wanna make a decision to come back to Jesus. Is that anyone? Come on, I, I, listen, I'm not gonna point you out. I'm just gonna invite you. As others come and respond to the word of the Lord, would you come? Would you just come and begin to call out? You can do it here at the altar. You can do it there in your seat. You can step out in the aisle, whatever it is, but just sincerely from your heart, call on Jesus. Come on. As you begin to come today, if you need to repent from the lawless spirit, repent. He loves you. Reject yourself as your own God and submit to God as God. Submit to Jesus as Lord. If you have rejected the word of the Lord, the messages of the Lord, the messengers of the Lord to your life, if you've despised or even mistreated people when they are speaking to you from the Lord, Or if you've just simply rejected what God has been speaking to you and today you say, I I repent, I submit, Lord. I reject the lawless spirit, being my own God, being my own Lord. Today I submit to Jesus as Lord. Come on, just respond to Him. If today you need to repent of the Pharisee spirit, where you just live according to the rules, or you're just trying to live a religious life, but... Your heart is far from God. Draw near to Him today. Let go of your own religious striving and surrender to Jesus. If today you need to repent of the political spirit, listen. If you've been trapped because you've made statements that can be used against you and it may be maybe against your witness for Christ, today is a day to let go of that, to lay that down. To make a commitment that the gospel of Jesus will be my message. The gospel of Jesus will be my only sweeping statement. If you need to repent of the Sadducee spirit, where all it is is knowledge, but there's no power, there's no supernatural. Today you say, I want to break into and press into the Holy Spirit, the supernatural power of God. Come on, I believe He wants to fill you. He wants to anoint you today. If if you need to repent of the seeker spirit, where your, your Christianity or your religion has been only about just knowing the right answers and knowing the right facts, but today you need to take it a step further and make a literal commitment to follow Jesus with your heart. Today is your day. If today you need to repent of the showman spirit where you've used your your religion or your spirituality, even the anointing or the gifts of the Spirit or your your knowledge to show off or to belittle or control others or to get favors or to look cool. And today, you need to repent of that. Just respond to the Lord. If you need to repent of the stingy spirit of just giving God or serving God with your leftovers, and today you would say, I want to give it all to Jesus. Today is the day. Come on, let's respond to the word of the Lord and cry out for the Holy Spirit and his anointing to come and set us free. Fall on us today, Holy Spirit. Awaken us today to truth. Awaken us today to life. 
Awaken us today to your reality. Awaken us today to your glory. Set us free in your presence, Lord, from these spirits that bind and limit us from serving you fully. Oh, we cry out for the anointing. Holy Spirit, come. We pray today, come. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really believe God spoke to you through His Word today and is moving in your life. If you'd like more information about Encounter Church or you'd like to give your tithes and offerings, you can visit our website at EncounterChurchAtlanta.org. I'd also like to invite you to share this message on social media. Thanks again.